The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Today, my guest is Ken Roshkoff, who is the CEO of AMC Global. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. It's uh, crazy times, different times going on with COVID-19. How are you and your business doing? We're doing well. Just, uh, you know, hanging in there with everyone else. It's definitely a strange time. And, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, we've had lots of changes. You know, we're all working remotely these days. That definitely took some getting used to. Yeah, I bet. It feels like everything's blended together from work and personal life um, by everybody working at home. It's, I feel like it's also, we've gotten to know each other a little bit more too, because there's not that, you know, not wall, but that separation for good or bad. <laughs> yeah, I totally, yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I think it's really interesting because, you know, you think about your company and culture and, you know, relationships with clients who you can't see during a time like this. And, it's been really interesting to see, you know, things like, you know, how do you pivot and you start using different types of technology. Like we use, we do a lot of Zoom calls. And as a result of all this video conferencing, I actually feel in a lot of ways that we've got almost like stronger relationships with our own staff and our clients because it's kind of like you're doing meetings in each other's homes. Yeah, so true. And, you know, we're all connected by the human element. Um, we're all going through this together. So you have an interesting story as it relates to your business. Can you give us a little bit of background as to the history of AMC Global? Sure, no problem. So I actually grew up around market research. My father started our company in 1979. He was the true researcher, loved being in the data, doing the analytics and working with the project staff. And I, on the other hand, always liked competition, spent much of my childhood focused on sports. First it was baseball, then I kind of transitioned into tennis. And I took that pretty far. I actually played in junior national tournaments all over the country and got recruited to play Division One tennis at Maryland. Yeah, so for me, I always loved that competitive component. And when it came time to determine what I wanted to do after school, I knew it had a have something to do with competition. So, you know, what I loved about being an athlete was all the, the tournaments and competing. So for me to really enjoy what I'd be doing in my career, and I knew it had to have that competitive element. So when I got involved in AMC initially, my father was training me to crunch the numbers and to become an expert in running projects. And I quickly learned that this was not going to be my thing. <laughs> I wasn't loving the project work. I had a hard time relating to it, um, especially at the time because we're doing work with a lot of agricultural chemical companies and industrial chemical companies, we're talking about fertilizer and interviewing farmers and <laughs> the category. Yeah, right. Yeah, just wasn't really my thing. You know, for me to be excited about what I was doing, I kind of felt like I had to bring in my own clients and in a space that would be of more of interest to me. And that was, you know, consumer package goods was always what kind of got me going. After a year, actually less than a year, I left the business and I went to grad school and get an MBA. 
And when I was coming out, I decided I'd give the business another shot, but I wanted to do it a little bit differently. And so given my f- interest in CPG, I identified an opportunity in the area of new product launch tracking. I developed unique positioning and then created and patented a unique methodology that could help major CPG companies capture robust insights from the earliest purchasers of the new products in market. And that program became known as what we call our PFU, stands for Purchase of Follow-Up. And then I began actively marketing the program to major CPG companies. We developed our own niche and leveraged it to form relationships with many of the largest CPG companies in the world. That's fantastic. And so you're international. You do work all across the globe. Okay. And how long ago was it when you started this practice within the company? Uh, About 1991. Wow. Okay. That's fantastic. What I really like about your company does is it's very focused and it really solves, it helps solve a business or it fits right into a business process, right? In terms of launching a new product. I think there's a lot of market research companies that tend to be generalists and they don't really focus or specialize in any one area. So does the company solely focus on launch, helping understand what's going on with new product launches? So we do not. We do work at all stages of the product life cycle, but it's hard to be generalist, as you mentioned. So every, you know, especially to work with major CPG companies, you need a point of differentiation. And you know, our differentiator has been our PFU program. So we use that as kind of a foot in the door, and it solves a real need that um, you know, a real problem that a lot of our clients have. But the idea is once we get in, we prove ourselves and our clients see how we work and how we really become true partners, they usually bring us into the fold and we start expanding the relationship and they start trusting us to do more of the pre-launch work as well as some of the post-launch tracking even beyond the launch phase. And tell us a little bit about your approach or your methodology to be able to track new product launches and being able to provide insights so quickly. Sure. So, you know, the way that our program fits, you know, where it fits, you know, it's kind of smack in between pre-launch work and post-launch. And when we talk about pre-launch, we're talking about all the work clients do to conceptualize a product, develop the product, the packaging, the positioning, the marketing strategy. You know, one of the last hurdles before launch is typically a concept product test with, you know, year one volumetric forecast. Once they kind of clear those hurdles, a lot of companies then, they launch the product, they're all excited, they're thinking it's going to do really well, and they set up the post-launch tracking, which is usually a brand health tracker and using household panel data to monitor trial and repeat levels. The issue is if things aren't going well, you know, a lot of our clients, they're not getting reliable repeat information until six months or longer into a launch. So... What we consider the launch phase is basically day one of the launch and throughout the first three to six months from that point. And we developed the PFU program as a really robust way to capture insights, both qualitative and quantitative, from the very first purchasers of the new products. And then we track these consumers to really understand how well the products fit into their lifestyle and ultimately if they're repurchasing and if not, why not? And the way that the system works, we're basically, the PFU program involves placing a little invitation either in a package or on a package in such a way that it's kind of disguised. We don't want it to be a purchase driver. We want consumers to find the invitation after they get the product home and they first go to use it. And when they peel it open, they find an offer for typically a prepaid cash card. And 
They're instructed to log onto our website, do an initial survey so that phase one survey usually takes place, you know, within 24 hours or so of initial purchase and when they first go to use the product. So we got to do a deep dive into, you know, all the purchase drivers, how they learned of the product, what drove their interest in the product, the category history, you know, we get into demographics, psychographics, initial you know, ratings on initial product attributes, things like that. And then what we do is we build in a usage period. And after that extended usage period, we send them a cash card with instructions for how to activate it by doing a phase two survey. So it's kind of like an in-market home use test where consumers, you know, we're getting people in the real world, people who, you know, bought product that was mass produced, shipped and handled as it normally would be. They're buying it with their own money. They're using it as they normally would. At the end of the second survey, after we get answer all of our clients' questions about how well the product's working for them, most importantly, did they buy it again? If not, why not? At the end of that, that survey, we activate their cash card and they can go with, you know, redeem their incentive. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's something that we can use globally. You know, cash cards that we use automatically convert to local currency around the world. So it's pretty flexible. Give us an idea of like, you know, how many people you could engage on day one of a launch or the day after a launch, just to give people perspective as to how quickly you can engage with consumers that have purchased a product. Yeah, it kind of depends on the launch. You know, obviously the beauty of our program is, you know, we're in the package or on the package with our invitations. So in order to get the response, the product has to sell. So if the client has, let's say they're doing a big marketing push right when the product's launching, yeah, we have some projects. We're hitting our quota. It could be a quota of you know 300 completed interviews within the first couple of days after the launch. We have other programs where you know maybe it's taking longer to build distribution, and you know products a little bit more slow moving. It could take a couple of weeks. It could take over a month to get to, to final quota. But the beauty of our system is, as long as the product's selling along the way, any point. During the project, we can provide our clients with top-line information. We can even give them a live dashboard if they want to log in and see results in real time. So as a lot of companies are starting to do, you know, rather than going national right away with a new product, a lot of companies are transitioning into these real small-scale, what they call test and learns, where, yep, you know, our programs are ideal for those situations. And there are also situations where it's even more difficult to track via more traditional methods. But because our invitations, again, are in or on a package, incidents really isn't an issue because as long as the product sells, we get consumers responding to us. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. You've had the benefit of, you know, being in business for many decades and you've seen things come and go and change. And I would love to get your perspective on how companies are changing as it relates to either pre-launch or launching or even post-launch. Like, what have you seen as the trends that have occurred as it relates to launching new products? 
Definitely been seeing a lot of companies these days shortening the pre-launch process. A lot of companies are skipping the traditional stage gate hurdles that they used to have, you know, the researchers get over in order to get the product to market in order to just get it there faster. So it actually makes the launch phase tracking that we do even that much more important. We actually have certain, you know, beverage clients that we work with where they don't even do any product testing anymore prior to launch. They go and market, they use our system to capture the very first insights from consumers who are tasting the product for the first time. Oh, that's interesting. I guess the, for them, the speed to market is more important than getting it, not 100% right, but getting it close enough in, to being right. Yeah. So speed to market is important, but then also it's kind of like, you know, continue as fast as possible to get the insights as early as possible because if they're going to fail, they want to fail quickly so that they're, yeah, they want to avoid all the expense of having something out there that's not performing. And the other thing is if something isn't going well and we're able to provide those insights early on, we can help them understand is it an issue with the product itself or is it an issue with you know, the packaging or the marketing communications? So the earlier they get that information, they can tweak these things in order to try and get the product back on track. And you have a database of historical product launches and kind of performance. Tell us how you leverage that as it relates to understanding, you know, a product launch that's happening today. Sure. So we use our normative database to basically benchmark new products against other, you know, similar types of products that we may have tracked for other clients. So it kind of gives them a real indicator of how they're stacking up versus the competition. Have there been any like majors, I mean, without revealing a client or anything, but have there been any major surprises where you see historical patterns with a product launch and something was just completely, you know, overperformed unexpectedly? We've seen that, you know, with products overperforming unexpectedly, as well as underperforming <laughs> and getting pulled. But yeah, we've definitely had some sort of new to the world type items that I was 100% sure were going to bomb in market and there was a market for them and they made it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And then talk to us a little bit about post-launch activities. How do you guys play into that? So we do a lot of the more traditional brand health tracking as well for our clients. We do a lot of shopper research, path purchase type work. So once the products are out there for you know, longer periods of time, in addition to using more traditional panel-based systems to recruit for some of our studies, we're also leveraging the database that we developed with the PFU program during the launch phase so that we can go back to those consumers and do further testing at different stages of the product life cycle. Ultimately to see, sometimes we're measuring long-term retention, we're helping our clients understand as things are changing in the marketplace, if they're sticking with the product or if they're going to competitive products and you know, really what's the stickiness of the product over time. And how does, we were talking before, talking earlier, you know, offline, the impact of COVID and how it relates to new product launches. What have you seen? So COVID has definitely created an interesting situation with regard to new launches. You know, we've seen a lot of our clients in the CPG space having tremendous upticks in their sales and to the point where they're having trouble just keeping their products on store shelves. And because everything was going so crazy with sales, we're saying that a lot of our clients were continuing to push ahead with their new launches. So it's actually been a good time to get new products out there into the retail space and even in competitive categories because 
categories that are super competitive where, you know, maybe you're going to the store and you're not finding the brand that you normally buy. Maybe you're willing to try a new brand because it's the only thing that's available. So it actually, I think, created a lot of opportunity for, you know, brands that maybe weren't number one or two in their category, but, you know, a way to kind of get out there get people to experience them and see if, you know, how they stand up versus the brands that they had been using maybe for years. And are you seeing that the rate and pace of innovation um, accelerating as it relates to COVID to try to get on the shelves, get even for, you know, major category of players to continue to capitalize on, you know, consumers' interest to try new things at, during this time? It seems that way, especially in our space with yeah consumer products. It just seems like, you know, there definitely have been some periods during COVID where there were some lulls and you got the sense that clients were holding back and trying to figure out what's going to be. And But for the most part, we've been seeing clients pushing ahead with their new innovations. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, just trying to get their new products out into the marketplace faster than ever. Yeah, I could see that. How does these food delivery systems impact your business? So Fresh Direct, I mean, there's a ton of companies that are, you know, Amazon and Whole Foods. How does that impact your business? You know, Amazon, obviously the home delivery, we have a lot of programs now where our clients are interested in understanding who's buying through Amazon and other e-commerce sites. So we've been doing a lot of work, again, using the PFU programs to kind of ride along with the product packages. So regardless of the venue or the, yeah, the retail outlet, even, even when it's e-commerce, we're, you know, we often have studies where our clients want quotas for the regular retail shopper versus the e-commerce shopper. So even with all the food delivery, we're still seeing a lot of demand for, you know, the type of work that we do. And, you know, since so many people are sort of tied to their houses these days, it's only natural that, you know, all these food delivery places are going to pick up in business. And I know from my own experience, we've been having DoorDash and all these other places coming to our door delivering food. And, you know, it's been kind of nice. <laughs> Yeah, totally agree. We've been doing the same thing. So what's the future look like? What are the plans for the company um, going forward? You know, I guess the main thing with a business like this is in order to grow, you need to assemble the right kind of team. So we're really focused on having the right people on board. We've got an awesome team. They're our number one asset. It doesn't matter how good our unique tools are. If we don't have the right people, we're nothing. <laughs> so you know, we're really cautious about who we bring on. We want to make sure that they're a fit with our culture and that, you know, they're innovative and just going to be a good fit with our clients. So, you know, we're not, we're not out there talking to private equity firms. We're not looking to get gobbled up by a major conglomerate or anything. We are, we train our people kind of the old fashioned way to learn all aspects of how to run a project. And we are, we kind of consider ourselves a, sort of high-end boutique firm where we just want to offer the highest quality to our clients and collect real solid researchers along the way and, you know, train our juniors up to be sort of the next generation of the best researchers in the industry and kind of have um, structured growth over time, put it that way. I love that. So, and what's, do you have, you know, obviously people are such a critical component of any business and to your point the most important component is there a unique approach or yeah unique approach to kind of really identify that a candidate's a good fit for your company <laughs> everybody has to agree 
Yeah, it's one of the hardest. We have a lot of our people involved in the hiring process, you know, doing interviews. We have, we now have little exercises that we have candidates go through to kind of um, demonstrate their skills in certain areas. And, you know, a lot of time it's also, you know, we'll talk to client references and things like that, but it often kind of comes down to gut feel and do they just seem like they're going to be a fit and, you know, the more experience they have, the harder it is because, you know, you wonder, are they going to be too set in their ways or are they going to be able to adapt to the way that we do things and we do, you know, some unique things with some of the unique capabilities that we have. So it's, um, staffing is not an easy thing. <laughs> no, it's not. And identifying hiring, recruiting is one thing. And then, you know, you don't want to hire all the same types of people either because you want to create a culture that has, you know, brings unique skills and perspectives to the table. So managing all that is also hard. I think we're just talking about management, basically. Yeah, but one thing that we've definitely learned over the years is you need to let your leaders lead. And, you know, we try not to micromanage people. So, and when we're hiring people, we look for people who, you know, often, like, you can't have a group where everyone's alike. You know, you, you've got to have some people who like to be more on the data. You got to have those client facing people and you need the people who are sort of in between, <laughs> you know? So it's really critical to kind of have that right mix, but we're really big on trying to find um, self-starters who can kind of come in, you know, be motivated to do the work and do their own thing. And obviously with guidance, but as far as the leadership team, we really try to be hands off and let them you know, do their thing their teams. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Same here. Thank Thanks you. so much for having me. Now more than ever, there's nothing like in-person research to deliver the voice and the views of the consumer. Face-to-Face -face delivers on empathy, captures nuanced body language, and creates personal connections that can be explored further. All focus group facilities are committed to safe and socially distanced protocols to keep our teams, our clients, and our participants safe. People are engaged and excited to share new emotions, new buying patterns, and new ways that they're seeing the world. Clients need this deep insight to make the best possible decisions at this critical time. We're here, we're focused, and we're ready. For in-person research, it's time to embrace the research space. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.